Welcome to the Business Scholarship Podcast, interdisciplinary conversations about new works in the broad world of business research. I'm your host, Andrew Jennings. If you like what you hear today, please consider subscribing to the podcast or sharing with others who might like it too. And if you have ideas for future episodes, let me know. My email address is andrew at andrewkjennings.com, and I look forward to hearing from you. Our guest today is Michael Capucci, Senior Vice President at Harvard Management Company. We'll be discussing his new paper, The Proxy War Against Proxy Advisors, which I'll link to in the show notes for today's episode. Michael, welcome to the Business Scholarship Podcast. I'm glad to be with you. Michael, your paper has a, a pretty intriguing title, The Proxy War on Proxy Advisors. I wonder if we can maybe start the conversation by touching on just who are proxy advisors, where do they come from as a group, and what do they do? And, and maybe a little bit about what they do in the context of what you do in your day job. Sure. So my day job, I'm the managing director for compliance and sustainable investing here at Harvard Management Company. That's the group that manages the endowment for Harvard University. As part of that, we help the university sustainably and responsibly vote on its proxies. It doesn't have as many as it used to, but we spend a lot of time in care making sure that proxies are responsibly voted. As part of that, we do receive research from third parties on different proxy matters. So it's something I've gotten to know quite a bit in the last few years as I've taken on more responsibility in this role. Taking a a big step back to answer your question, uh, proxy advisors have been around for about 30 years. The first proxy advisor is Institutional Shareholder Services, or ISS. It was founded in 1985. It was launched to provide a suite of services to institutional investors who are asset owners like Harvard or pension plans and asset managers like Fidelity or BlackRock to help them process their shareholder proxies. Uh, Proxy advisors provide all manner of services relating to proxy voting. It includes aggregating and standardizing information relating to uh, holdings and upcoming meeting information. They also help provide services to manage the actual votes themselves. And additionally, and most controversially, they provide recommendations to their clients on how to vote on certain matters. They do this all by economizing the research that otherwise each individual asset owner or investment manager would have to do on their own. So if you think about it, kind of putting numbers in there, Apple is one of the most, if not the most widely held company in American markets. I think there's somewhere in the order of 4 billion shares outstanding held by millions of different investors. If all of them had to separately do their own independent research every time there was a proxy vote, there would be a lot of wasted effort and duplicated effort that went into that. Instead, the largest institutional investors hire these other third parties to do some of the the legwork and the research for them. So it's a cost-effective way of pooling the research costs as well as providing a standardized platform for voting the proxies themselves. There's a very loose system of regulation that's in place currently, and that's part of the, the controversy Uh, Proxy advisors are regulated as investment advisors under the Investment Advisors Act of 1940, and they're also covered indirectly by the proxy solicitation rules under Section 14 of the Securities Exchange Act. But many feel that the regulations as they apply to the activities of proxy advisors, particularly the provision of research, aren't strict enough. So I want to touch on some of the controversy in just a moment, but you note that proxy advisors, one role that they play is really to provide an economy of scale when it comes to 
research and governance. One thing that I thought was really interesting about your paper was it discusses what that scale means in terms of just what the proxy advisors have to do. Could you maybe touch on that in terms of the volume and just the the task at hand for them? Uh, And how does that maybe translate or help us think about the capacity or expenses that they're saving institutional investors or asset managers? Sure. So in the paper, I talk about four different trends that have led to the uh, fairly significant increase in the number of proxies that institutional investors have to process and vote each year. I won't go into the details, but those trends are the increased institutional ownership of stocks in the U.S. markets, uh, the larger and more diverse investment portfolios per investor, the race to lower fees, and also the increase and rise of shareholder activism. So not no one of those different trends has led to the explosion, but together, they've led to a fairly dramatic increase in the number of proxies that investment managers and asset owners have to vote each year. I don't have any specific statistics on this, but if you think about it, uh, before the advent of personal computers, even the largest asset managers were able to process all of the shareholder proxies they received each year manually using paper and pen. Uh, Today, that's sort of well beyond uh, what would be possible. According to at least one asset manager, it receives and processes over 80,000 unique voting items each year. To put that in perspective, if one person did nothing but spend all of their time working on proxy votings all year, they'd have to do somewhere in the order of four per hour every hour they spend in the office. Of course, that's not possible because the vast majority of proxies uh, that relate to company annual meetings come out in the first few months of the year. Somewhere between kind of the end of February and the beginning of June is the proxy season here in the U.S. with a peak in April and May. So uh, even if it were possible to process all of those proxies, putting them in such a constrained time period really increases the the burden that the different managers have. So their options uh, in order to deal with those during that compressed time frame would be either you use a standardized service provider like the proxy advisors, or you would have to dedicate the internal staffing and resources to handle that. So far, relatively few investment managers, including the very largest, the State Streets and Black Rocks and Vanguards of the world, have the internal resources to handle that exclusively themselves. Usually, the managers dedicate the internal personnel on the matters that they feel are most important to their shareholders. So uh, it looks at, they would tend to look at the names and voting decisions relating to the, the positions where they hold the largest amount or that are the most controversial. But often, those are only a small subset of the many, many proxies that have to be voted. Just identifying which are the controversial topics where there might be a contested vote or where more research is required is itself a significant burden. All of the asset managers these days outsource at least some portion of that work and that responsibility to outside proxy advisors. So it's a massive undertaking that proxy advisors uh, are responsible for, and it tends to happen a fairly short period every year. But this is an undertaking that, as you noted at the top, hasn't been without controversy or criticism. Could you maybe touch on some of the the criticisms of proxy advisors and and, and the work that they do? Sure. So as the number of different proxy proposals and votes has increased, so has the scrutiny on the proxy advisors providing the recommendations. I think it's important to note that some of the concerns have come from across 
all kind of dimensions in political spectrum. So there are folks on the left and on the right who've expressed concerns, both pro-shareholder uh, groups and pro-company groups have weighed in on this topic. Uh, however, the most vocal opponents of proxy advisors and the loudest, the folks calling the, the most loudly for increased regulation have been the corporate industry trade groups and lobbyists like the Business Roundtable, the Chamber of Commerce, and the Center on Executive Compensation. All of them have dedicated specific resources to this issue and have made a point of weighing in on all of the public opportunities to comment either in Congress or the SEC. There is a fairly wide array of sort of charges and criticisms that have been leveled at the proxy advisors. I, I'll talk about four uh, kind of general thematic issues that folks have raised. Uh, there are others, but I, I think this kind of gets at the most of the concerns. The first one is that proxy advisors have too much influence. As I said a moment ago, one of the general trends that has impacted the market is the move from retail ownership of stocks to institutional ownership. Today, roughly 75% of all uh, outstanding shares of U.S. corporations are held by institutions, and uh, the vast majority of them use either ISS or Glass-Lewis for proxy services, somewhere in the neighborhood of 97%. So there's no doubt that those two proxy advisors have a significant role to play in the industry. There's some question of what level of influence or control they actually have. Uh, obviously, to the extent that they're just mechanically processing the instructions of their clients, they're not acting in a way to place any influence on the outcome. But through their process of generating research and making recommendations, there are some number of their clients, and how many is open for debate, that just mechanically take their recommendations. And so effectively, ISS and Glass-Lewis control those votes. I've seen estimates ranging from uh, as low as 3% to around 30% of uh, the shares of different companies. So that is one concern. Another, and this is one that the SEC has focused on most recently, is that the research and recommendations they provide can be inaccurate. Uh, again, it's very difficult to look at the data and understand what the facts are. Nobody doubts that mistakes are made, but at the same token, there is no standard that in order to provide proxy advice, you have to be kind of flawless in your advice. One often cited report that I've seen is that 53% of corporate executives are aware of mistakes that proxy advisors have made in the prior, I think it was five years. But I don't know how telling that statistic is just because they make one mistake in five years doesn't necessarily mean that the reports are riddled with errors. In the SEC release, the data that they provided suggested that somewhere in the order of 1.5% of company proxies each year have to be refiled due to proxy advisor errors or discrepancies. Uh, that didn't strike me as a particularly large number, but it, it is at least one data point. The next issue that critics raise is that proxy advisors are not transparent or that, put another way, that they're opaque in the methodology they use. I think this one is largely kind of guilty as charged. As intellectual property providers, they are not particularly transparent in what methodology they use to come up with their recommendations. I think the real question here is, to what extent is that either a flaw or a problem in the process? Uh, the, the clients don't seem to be quite as concerned with the transparency issue as some of the, the corporations are. Uh, and lastly, and certainly not least, there are a lot of serious concerns raised around either real or potential conflicts of interest by the proxy advisors. 
One obvious one is that because they provide advice uh, to clients who are themselves sometimes the shareholders of particular shareholder proposals, that there is some institutional bias in that uh, framework where they would be more inclined to support shareholder proposals that are made either by existing or potential clients. So that there's sort of a, a tendency to more frequently vote against management than they otherwise might if they were just looking at the facts. Uh, there's also an issue that ISS, which is the largest proxy advisor, does have some other corporate governance consulting services that it provides through a, a separate wing of its corporate entity. And some folks feel that that provides uh, an additional layer of conflict that tends to bias the results of their research as well. So those are the, the criticisms and they may or may not have some some merits to them depending on, on one perspective. But you mentioned an SEC release and reform proposals. What's kind of the state of play with potential reform or, or new rules around proxy advisors? And are those reforms or new rules designed to address the problems or are they well aligned to solving the problems that critics have pointed to? So there have been a variety of proposals offered up to fix the problems with proxy advisors. Uh, about as many critics as there are out there, there are different proposals and solutions, and they really range in terms of the depth and breadth of what they've offered. Some just suggest that more and more standardized disclosure is required. Others have called for the complete overhaul of the proxy advisory industry. Uh, to give you a sense of uh, exactly how high up some of these concerns have gotten, in 2017 and 2018, there were separate bipartisan House and Senate bills that were proposed to increase the regulation on proxy advisors in various ways. Neither of them made it to a full vote, uh, and so the, the status is, remains unclear. But it does suggest that the critics, in particular the lobbyists, have gotten the attention of folks in high places. As you mentioned, the SEC is most recently weighed in on this. They've been considering the matter at least since 2010 when they held a roundtable on the subject. Most recently in November of 2019, they approved and released a proposal for an amendment to some of their rulemaking, which if adopted would impose a mandatory company review period for proxy advisor recommendations and also create stricter disclosure requirements around conflicts of interest. The SEC did approach this with a great deal of caution. They spent a fair amount of time thinking through the, the various options before they landed on this particular proposal. My sense is there's been a fair amount of pushback from the shareholder lobbying interests, other shareholder concerns. I don't know what the status of that particular rule proposal is or its likelihood of being passed, but just the fact that it has the support of the three Republican commissioners suggests there's a, at least a decent chance we'll see an actual change in the rules this year. The really curious thing about a lot of these proposals for reform, uh, and this is a big point that I touch on in my paper, is that it's not clear how the different reforms would address the underlying concerns with proxy advisors. One of the biggest issues is that they have to process an awful lot of information within a relatively compressed time frame, as we were discussing. Adding an extra company review period is only going to make that worse. And so it's not exactly clear whether the reduction in the number of errors or the increase in the accuracy will, in the whole, provide a greater benefit to corporations or whether the additional constraints will lead to other unintended or maybe even intended consequences that may hurt shareholders. 
in their ability to get independent advice on some of these issues. Some of the other solutions, for example, creating a wholly new oversight bodies to deal with proxy advisors, all that would do is increase the regulatory and compliance burden, which would have the potential to further entrench the already pretty entrenched incumbents. And so it's not clear how some of these different proposals would solve the perceived problems. So these are kind of the the criticisms that have been leveled about proxy advisors and some proposals to address those criticisms. Your paper is titled The Proxy War Against Proxy Advisors. And so I want to maybe zero in on, on that word proxy war. Are there motivations that might be at work here that maybe aren't being publicly expressed? I think there are. So if proxy advisory services were really as riddled with errors and problems as they're sometimes alleged, you might think that it would be their clients, not the targets of the research, that would be up in arms. So, for example, all of the institutional investors out there who are paying for these services have their own fiduciary duty to act responsibly with respect to proxy voting. If they felt that that duty were somehow jeopardized or compromised by receiving proxy voting advice or recommendations, that were wholly detached from reality or so riddled with errors that it would cause significant problems, you would expect that to be addressed more directly between the clients and the service providers rather than indirectly through chain of somewhat attenuated business interests and lobbying groups. I think what's really going on is it is a a pushback by the corporate interests against shareholders. So this is the culmination of uh, 20 years of increased shareholder attention and pressure on proxy voting in corporate governance. It started uh, with some early efforts around reform to declassify boards of directors, to promote majority voting, to get proxy access, to get say on pay. There's a, a whole long list of ways that shareholder activists and shareholder interests have improved their standing and their ability to influence the direction and management of corporations. And I think what we're seeing is pushback by the corporate interests to try to undermine their ability to exercise their ability through the proxy voting mechanisms. What they realize is that without proxy advisors as an intermediary, institutional investors would not be able to pay as much attention or to respond as positively to shareholder proposals. That's either because the services would become too expensive as proxy advisors might need to increase the cost to provide the services, uh, or it could be because if it becomes too difficult for proxy advisors to do all of the research and analysis during the spring proxy season to cover the same number of companies, which is in the tens of thousands, One of the implications might be that they just cover fewer companies and spend more time focusing on the biggest, most widely held names and much less time on the small cap companies. Uh, That would be kind of a perverse outcome, I think, because it's the small cap companies that get less attention where a lot of times these issues and the, the votes themselves have the greatest impact. And it's also where the need for additional independent research is the greatest. So I'm somewhat cynical on this point, I think we would all be collectively better if we had an honest discussion around the pros and cons of the shareholder franchise and whether we believe that the kind of default rule of one shareholder, one vote is the right approach, rather than have these indirect discussions focusing on what I think are, are really ancillary concerns 
around proxy voting advice and the accuracy and transparency of their methodologies. What open questions do you see for this issue on proxy advisors and a potential proxy war on, on proxy advisors? And maybe what key takeaways would you like our listeners to have from this conversation and from your paper? In the short term, the issue will be uh, the status of the SEC rulemaking proposal. In addition to the, the rules dealing with proxy advisors, they, uh, on the same day, they also released a rule proposal dealing with proxy solicitation and the ability of shareholders to resubmit proposals that are not approved by a majority of investors the first time or the second time around. I think it's the combined focus on these new rulemakings will either bring fairly significant changes to the industry or will solidify some of the, the shareholder concerns around improving access to the corporate decision-making and influence on the boards. I think that segues nicely into what I hope are the kind of bigger, more longer-term issues around really the role of shareholders in influencing the direction of corporate activity and boards of directors. One of the underlying issues that I think is implicated in all of this, and not always directly, is the rise of ESG, which stands for Environmental, Social, and Governance Concerns. That's been one of the chief drivers of the shareholder proposals in recent years. Uh, not always, but generally, those proposals have sought to get companies to do more around certain environmental or so social issues like climate change, like uh, board diversity and inclusion. And I think that is a trend that is likely going to continue. Now, whether it continues through the avenue of corporate engagement and shareholder proposals or through some other avenue, I think is a genuine question uh, that has not been resolved. But as we move forward and we all have a collective interest in having a well-functioning set of corporate control and governance and voting in the United States, I think we would all be better served by having a more honest discussion around the general rights and issues around shareholder voting rather than spending too much time getting sidetracked on side issues relating to proxy research. Our guest today has been Michael Capucci, Senior Vice President at Harvard Management Company. We've discussed his new paper, The Proxy War Against Proxy Advisors, which I'll link to in the show notes for today's episode. Michael, thank you for joining the Business Scholarship Podcast. It's been my pleasure. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Business Scholarship Podcast. If you like what you heard, please consider subscribing to the podcast or leaving a rating on your favorite podcast app, or let other people know about it too. If you have suggestions for future episodes, please let me know. My email address is andrew at andrewkjennings.com, and I look forward to hearing from you. Until the next time, I'm your host, Andrew Jennings.